Welcome to What Are You Sporting About podcast, a podcast about business, employment, sports, and entertainment to help educate, support, and guide you to your next level. Here's your host, Attorney Savania DeBarros. Hi, guys. It's Savannah DeBarros, the protector of athletes here. And today I have Gary Santaniello on the line today, who is a freelance journalist and has written a lot about sports. So welcome to the show today, Gary. Thank you very much, Savonia. Glad to be here. I'm so happy that you joined me. So I ran across one of your articles about um, Black Girl Hockey Club and how they are trying to integrate these hockey seats and aiming next for the C-suites. And this was a story that you did in the New York Times. So can you tell me a little bit about that and how you got a hold of that story? Well, you know, I, I do a lot. I'm a freelance journalist and I, I do a lot of uh, hockey for the New York Times. And well over a year ago, for some reason, uh, the only thing I do on Twitter is hockey. And for some reason, I noticed I was being followed by the Black Girl Hockey Club. Uh, so I checked them out. I go, huh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Started following them. And one thing led to another. I go, there's a story here. My uh, editor at the time thought there was too. Last uh, February, I went down to one of their meetups in Raleigh. Uh, the story was all set to run back in early March. Mm-hmm. The coronavirus got in the way. And finally, we got it to run a few weeks ago. Nice. Nice. So was that the first time you had heard about this particular club? It was. And this would have been right, not that long after Renee started it. Okay. So I've kind of followed their progress for, you know, basically it's been two years since Renee started it. Uh, I've probably been following them for at least a year and a half. Okay. Now, you know, so hockey is not a predominantly um, racially integrated sport. <laughs> so when I saw when I saw this this uh, article, you know, it, it's it's so amazing because it put me in the mind of um, NASCAR and how a lot of their uh, race uh, racers had come up and out speaking against racism and the social injustices that have been taking place. You know, COVID nineteen put people almost in a bubble to where they had to sit down and listen and truly look at everything that's happening around them. And so a lot of people, even in sports that are not super racially diverse, has taken a stand to really, you know, say, look, we we are not condoning this type of behavior. So to see someone who's taking action in a sport that's not racially diverse, um, although it's not in the in the aspect of the athletes themselves, but also doing things around that sport is also important. So this is amazing. So what it is, is. yeah. What impact has it had um, this particular organization in its two years since it's formed? Well, and all the credit goes to Renee. Uh, You know, her idea was a pretty simple one at the beginning. She goes, I like to go to hockey games, but there aren't many women like me there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she sent out a message on social media saying anyone else out there like me. And I think she was stunned by how many responded, not by the responses themselves, but how many 
uh, black women and then women of color and even white women across the country understood what she was talking about. Right. And, you know, very quickly she was able to build this network, which uh, probably, I'm trying to, uh, within the past year, uh, got the attention of the NHL to the degree that, you know, she was included on a league conference call because they realized she could help them mm-hmm. and would have some important uh, viewpoints on how to, uh, one, diversify, and two, combat the existing racism in the sport. Right, right. And, you know, it also will help help the team to um, bring on more additional Potential viewers, you know, people who may buy actual tickets to the game. But you know, when you don't have that diversity or, or uh, environment where it feels inclusive of everyone, some people, they may like it, but they may shy away from it because they are the only one, you know. Exactly. So I have a funny story for you. Long, long, long time ago, I played soccer. I was yeah. a little girl. And where I grew up, I was the on- first off, I was the only black person on the team. And then I was the only girl, but I was good. Oh, yeah, I was so good. But I didn't want to play because there was no one like me on the team. So I felt isolated. And I remember asking my mom if I can quit. And she told me, you know, it was basically my decision, but I could. But throughout my life and the more I uh, rose and achieved, you know, educational level, I found myself being the only one, the only black person or the only black woman in the room. And so it's so important to create communities where it broadens the, the pool of all types of people, where it will also bring an interest, not just for a hockey team, but for anything. Exactly. Now, God bless your mom. (laughs) True, true that. God bless her. So um, what is your take on um, participation in the sport of hockey among people of color? Do you think this is an area where um, we can start to see some diversification here? Well, I think that the, the best hope is at the youth level where, you know, young, you know, young black girls get, are getting into the sport. And, you know, finding that, hey, I'm not the only one or Mm -hmm. that it is more welcoming than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, When I was at the meetup in Raleigh, there were, you know, two local women who brought their daughters, uh, both biracial. And, you know, they've uh, what they said is, look, we want them to be around. The reason they went is they wanted them to see that other there were other people who looked like them. Yeah. who love hockey. So, you know, what's driving them first is their love for hockey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, second, they're realizing, hey, uh, we want more people who look like us in the sport. So I think it's more of a bottom up than a top down because the more players uh, – uh, of color who play in youth hockey mm-hmm. in college hockey, it's going to bubble up to the NHL to the point where, you know, last night, the number two pick in the NHL draft, uh, the highest black player ever taken number two by the LA Kings. So it's, it's changing. 
it is changing. That's awesome. That's really awesome because I don't even, and I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really trying to dig here. I don't even recall seeing a women's hockey team. Well, that's the interesting thing is that women's hockey uh, is really is a relatively new sport, especially on the bigger stages. And, you know, it took, uh, uh, you know, it took a while for colleges to to field teams. There are only 30 NCAA Division One women's teams now. And, you know, one or two are being added a year, which is good. Yeah. But. It's starting, you know, I think the 1998 USA women's team that won the gold medal in, oh, I want to say it was Nagano, uh, was really an eye-opener for a lot of young women who now are college-age playing hockey. So I think the next frontier, which the NHL is trying to be involved in, and certainly the Black Girl Hockey Club is supporting – is to provide more opportunities for young black girls mm-hmm. who are in urban areas, not necessarily hockey hotbeds, mm-hmm. but urban areas, maybe a city where there's an NHL team to, to play hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, how difficult do you think that would be? Because um, in places where there isn't an NHL team. So I grew up in Florida. I don't yeah. recall anything hockey yep. there. Anywhere in Florida. Right. So is that an, a place where you, you, when you have these warmer states where you can say, hey, it's, it may be difficult to integrate here, but let's see about putting a, a hockey rink in these. I, I actually think those are the areas for most growth, because once the NHL started expanding into the Sun Belt, uh in, in, in big numbers back in the late 90s and, you know, continuing through today. What those uh, franchises realized was we need to build a hockey culture and a hockey audience. So they became very involved in uh, building more rinks, getting more kids involved in youth hockey so they could take their parents to games. Mm-hmm. So you've seen tremendous growth in places like South Florida the Tampa area, Dallas, Arizona, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes have a tremendous youth program. Whereas, you know, you'd say hockey in Raleigh, North Carolina, but you know, they're at the foot, they're, you know, right up there with one of the top five or six emerging markets uh, for, for hockey and for youth hockey. That's amazing because I did not know that. Yeah, uh, Pittsburgh is a, is a great market, but in particular, they are finding that, you know, within a, uh, for the, their arena is in a, is on the edge of a, uh, an urban area. And for people, anyone who wants to play hockey in that area, uh, let alone little girls, the closest hockey rink is about 20 miles. Yeah. So they're trying to work to get rinks located in areas where they traditionally haven't been. Yeah. And where it'd be easier to, for say, if you have a working class family where both parents are out of the house for periods of time, you want the children to be able to commute there through public transportation safely uh, to get 
places. So no, that's, that's, I mean, that's huge. That's huge. I, I just never had thought about, um, with this, this black girl hockey club before I saw it as I'd never thought that it was, um, a sport really for black people. I'm just being honest, you know, cause that's, black uh, athletes who do play hockey, normally you don't see that, um, you don't see an inclusive environment around them. So you don't think that the fans themselves would also be included uh, exactly. in the game. And that's, that's what Renee and many others like her found. Like, I, you know, talking to Renee, uh, you know, she'd go to a game, didn't see many black people of color. I mean, uh, people of color, but she also would hear comments like, you know, not just, Hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing here? Why are you at a hockey game? Right. Uh, you know, shouldn't you be at a, you know, uh, Celtics aren't playing here. Those yeah. kind of things. And, you know, that was uh, her, her desire to go to hockey was greater than being put off by that environment. Yeah. So that's why I think so many chapters of the black ho- uh, black girl hockey club arose because, you know, women want uh, black, women wanted to go to hockey games, but they wanted to feel comfortable. Right. And so these meetups provided them an opportunity to do that and showed NHL hockey clubs, hey, this is an important part about make them feel welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, and it's definitely, it's a, a, a theme that goes right along with what are you sporting about? You know, everyone has this purpose or this drive inside um, that moves them, you know, to do something that will ultimately catch the attention of a lot of people because it is a purpose project. It is a passion project. You're not doing it for hand claps. You're doing it because you love it. You want something to change. Um, and this is so important. Like we can learn a lot just from this organization, um, from the curator, you know, standing her ground. Yep. Finding- so many, in so many ways. Yeah. Yep. So this is, this is absolutely amazing. So is there any advice you have for any other, um, individuals who may be trying to curate an organization to speak up and out about anti-racism, um, trying to integrate sports or teams. Is there any, any advice you can give them? Well, when it comes to hockey, uh, the great, you know, the great place to start is find, you know, black girl hockey club, their website, find them on Twitter. Ed, you said find the black girl club on Facebook, Twitter, uh, their, their webpage, Twitter, Facebook, because, they're regularly engaged with all kinds of, of different groups. R- Renee is a, you know, a one person PR dynamo. She'll, she'll attend any forum, speak on any, on any topic that relates to this uh, in the United States and Canada. Uh, through them, you can find any, uh, you know, other people who to get involved, uh, who share your interests, other groups that share your interests. That's the best place to go at this point. Okay. 
Uh, I can I can really only speak about hockey in particular, but you know the NHL is rolling out a number of initiatives this fall, uh, both to educate, to inform, uh, to do all to raise the profile of uh, people of color in hockey. That again are. NHL.com will, and if you, NHL.com, you know, diversity or NHL.com initiatives will lead you to the scope of what they're doing. But there's, there's a lot of efforts going on at the league level, at the club level. Uh, if you live in an area where there is an NHL team, go to their website and see, what's, see what they're doing. That's amazing. And you, you said Renee a few times. I want to clarify for our listeners. It's Renee Hess. She is the yep. founder of Black Girl Hockey Club. Um, and their website, you can find them at blackgirlhockeyclub.org. Um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn with her, Twitter, yep. same thing. Yep. Yeah, so this is, this is so informative. This has been amazing. I'm so happy that you came on and talked with me about this. I mean, a lot of things that I didn't even know that was happening with NHL. Um, and so it's, well, same here. Yeah, uh, it's so I, refreshing. I was, I was in. I was, uh, you know, just amazed by, you know, just what Renee and the club has done in the, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months that I've been following them. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, uh, it, it's one of the more enjoyable and, as events of this summer proved, important stories. Um, that I that I've done, and you know, I give the Times a lot of credit for, uh, you know, giving giving me the room to write it and giving the story the play it did. Yeah, that's huge. That is really huge, Gary. Um, we need more. We need more stories like this, and we need more Renees. Yes, more Renees and less stories of the sad stuff because this is this is this is good stuff. This is happy stuff. Um, and it shows that we are moving in the right direction, not just as people who love sports, but people of these communities in this nation. We are moving in the right direction. Um, so this is amazing. Thank I agree. So I, ho- I hope there are more opportunities to write about it because I haven't left. I certainly haven't left this story behind. I follow them closely. Oh, good, good, good. So, yeah, if we hear of anything, we will definitely give you a ring and let you know. Okay, and it's easy to find my contact information through the uh, story links on the Times. Uh, and you know, if I can if if I can help anyone in any way or point them in the right direction, I'm more than happy to do it. We so appreciate you, Gary. Thank you so much again for coming on. And this will wrap up our time together. And I look forward to connecting with you further. Thanks, Savonia. Keep fighting the good fight. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining us this week on What Are You Sporting About? podcast. Make sure to visit our website, prosportlawyer.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, What Are You Sporting About? Attorney Savania DeBarros is available for private consulting at sldebarros.com. And remember, we're here to educate, support, and guide you in your journey to success. 
because we're all sporting about something. 